Johnny, I was watching your mother when you were singing, and she sang every word right along with you. Maybe next time we'll have to do that as a duet. Well, today we continue our study from Paul's letter to the Philippians, and uh, we have come to conclude chapter number three. In this letter, Paul is concerned that the Christian loses their joy. And he says in chapter number three specifically that the danger we face is that we lose our joy through the pursuit of things. And he tells us the way that we have victory over that is to have a spiritual mind. But what does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to have a spiritual mind? And it seems to me generally that people understand being spiritual in terms of external actions. For instance, there are some who would define being spiritual as being mystical. And they they see a spiritual person as almost otherworldly, not connected to this world. I have especially noticed in a lot of religious plays that Jesus is always depicted as someone who has long hair and he doesn't walk, he sort of glides as he moves. So if we see someone then on the platform who has long hair and is gliding, that probably is Jesus, and that is the way that he is depicted many times as being spiritual. I think when one is immature in the faith or new in the faith, that we oftentimes define being spiritual as being legalistic. And so if I do not do these things, and I do do these things, in other words, if I can check some things off, that means then that I am spiritual. There are those people who understand spirituality in terms of emotion. And if one is highly emotion, emotional, we think of that person as being spiritual. And of course, the problem with that is that some people are naturally emotional while others are not. That is simply emotion, not spirituality. Well, I believe that being spiritual, having a spiritual mind, means that I view earth from heaven's vantage point. It means that I view what happens on this earth through the lens of heaven. And yet Barna has written that, Most Christians, indeed he said, most pastors do not have a biblical worldview. The fact is, most of us do not view what is happening in this world from heaven's vantage point or from a scriptural viewpoint. But I believe that's what being spiritual is. The conflict we have is that we have citizenship in two areas. First of all, we are citizens of earth. We live here. We were born here, which means that we have to make a living. Paul said, if one does not work, then one is not to eat. Because we are citizens of earth, we have to pay taxes. Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. But we also are citizens of heaven. So take your Bible today, and that's what we're going to look at. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 17, as we conclude this chapter. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. 
whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Now, there in verse number 20, Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven. But I've already said that we are citizens in two realms. We are citizens of heaven, but we are citizens of earth as well. And that was important to the Philippians. You, you see, the Philippians were a Roman colony located in Macedonia. And though they did not actually live in Rome, they nevertheless were citizens of Rome, and they enjoyed the privilege of being Roman citizens. Because they were Roman citizens, it means that they must observe the Roman law, and they also were protected by the Roman law, though they did not actually live in Rome. In fact, in Acts chapter 22, the Apostle Paul was imprisoned and he was about to be beaten when he revealed that he was a Roman citizen. And so in verse number 29, the Scripture says, Therefore, those who were about to examine him immediately let go of him, and the commander also was afraid when he found out that he was a Roman. You see, the Apostle Paul was a Roman citizen, and because he was a Roman citizen, that meant then that he was protected by Roman law. Though the Philippians lived in Macedonia, they spoke the language of Rome. So, their earthly citizenship was important to them. Just like our earthly citizenship is also important to us. Because we are citizens of the United States of America, we enjoy certain freedoms that our country affords us. The Constitution guarantees us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so we have the freedoms we have because we are citizens of this country. We also are protected by this country, which is the first responsibility of a government to protect its citizens. There are many benefits we enjoy because we are citizens of the United States. We are able to have an education. We have security. There are many benefits we enjoy because we are citizens of this country. So citizenship was important to the Philippians as it is to us. But we also are citizens of heaven. Now, how does one become a citizen of heaven? Well, the Scripture tells us, first of all, we have to repent of our sin. If we're going to be a citizen of heaven, we have to acknowledge our sin, repent of our sin. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. So to become a citizen of heaven then means that I have to turn away from the world, that, that I repent of my sin. I turn around. I have a change of mind I'm going in a different direction. So there has to be repentance. And then the Bible says that we confess Christ. The Scripture says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. So then I acknowledge that Jesus is my Lord, and then I put faith in Him, Romans 10, 9, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. So in order to become a citizen of heaven, 
The Bible says that I must repent of my sin, that I confess Christ as Lord, and I put my faith in Him as Savior. Now, whenever I become a citizen of heaven, there are many privileges that I enjoy as a result of being a citizen. Are you a citizen of heaven? Now, you notice I didn't ask if you were a Baptist. Because there are a lot of Baptists who are not citizens of heaven. Are you a citizen of heaven? You see, if you are, then there are certain blessings or advantages or privileges that you enjoy. And I was thinking of some of them. One of them is prayer. The privilege of prayer. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. That is the privilege of a citizen. I was thinking, I would hate to live without the privilege of prayer. Wouldn't you? That when I have an illness that I'm able to pray and take it to the Lord and ask others to do so. When our people travel, and I, I know that during this time that there are many of our people on vacation, they are traveling, and to be able to pray for them, say, Lord, just protect them while they're gone, watch over them. Sometimes I don't sleep well at night. I guess that happens in time. But many times when I awaken at night, there'll be someone special on my heart and I pray for them. Oftentimes it's my grandchildren. When Pruitt was at camp last week, I woke up one night and I was praying for him. Sometimes it's some of you. The, I know the issues some of you are facing and maybe I'll wake up and I'll pray. But what I'm saying is that because I'm a citizen of heaven, because I'm a child of God, I have the privilege of prayer. And I can pray and you can pray. That is a wonderful privilege that is ours because we are citizens of heaven. And the Bible says that because we are citizens of heaven, children of God, then we are heirs of God. The Scripture says in Romans eight sixteen and 17, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Did you realize that? That you are an heir of Jesus Christ, an heir of God, if you're a child of God, and then one day we go to heaven. Because we are, are citizens of heaven, one day we will go to heaven. We are citizens on earth and we are citizens in heaven. And our language reflects our citizenship, he says. The language one speaks reflects the citizenship of that person. I've been in, in a number of countries, but when I was in Spain, I noticed that the people there spoke Spanish. When I've been in Russia, I noticed that the people there spoke Russian. Here in the United States, we speak English, or at least a derivation of it. We speak the same language, we just don't speak it the same way. For instance, if you're from the South, you're fixing to do something. And when you're around people who are not from the South, they say, you're, you're fixing to... What does that mean? I said, well, that means I'm fixing to do it. But we, I mean, that, even though we speak the same language, 
The way we say it says something about where we're from. If you're from South Carolina, you have a southern drawl that you won't hear in a citizen from Wisconsin. But you see, our, our language reflects our citizenship. And folks, the same thing is true if you're a citizen of heaven. If you are a citizen of heaven, your language reflects that citizenship. For instance, Jesus was speaking to the disciples one day, and he said, Who do men say that I am? And, and, and one said, Well, they're those who think that you're John the Baptist. Someone thinks that you're Elijah, that you're one of the prophets, and so forth. And Jesus said to Peter, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I say that to say that Peter was speaking a spiritual language, a language of heaven. Thou art the Christ. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed that to you. Our citizenship is reflected in our talk. Jesus said in Matthew 12:34, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Now, I heard about one guy who came to know the Lord and said he lost half his vocabulary. But it affects our talk. It affects our attitude. Faith is uh, revealed by our attitude. Folks, listen. If you're a child of God, For the life of me, I do not understand how you cannot be positive about life. If Jesus is Lord, I really don't understand how someone can go around with a long look on their face. You heard about the Christian who was up on the top of a building and he fell off. And as he was passing the 13th floor, they heard him say, so far. If we are citizens of heaven, then that should be reflected in our attitude, in our talk, and in our actions. I was reading this morning in Titus chapter 1, verse 16, Paul wrote, They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. If we are citizens of heaven, ladies and gentlemen, it is reflected in our talk, it is reflected in our attitude, it is reflected in our action if we're citizens of heaven. Now, you can have religion and not have that. Your life will reflect religion, but it will not reflect Jesus. Then he talks about the Christian's walk. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul wrote, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you. The word imitators is the Greek word from which we get the word mimic. And what he is saying to us is that we are to mimic God. Well, how do you do that? I'm supposed to mimic God. How do I mimic God? Well, the Scripture says, by walking in love. In 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Why should we love each other? Because of who we are. He said, Beloved children, and children mimic their parents. We're the children of God. You understand that? If you are a believer, you are a child of God And children mimic their parents. Now, I know that every time my children did something bad, Linda would always say, well, they're just like their daddy. 
And probably some of you have said something similar concerning the father of your children. But the point is, is that children mimic their parents and God is love. So why do I live a life of love? Because of who I am. I'm a child of God. We live a life of, of love because of the example of Christ. Christ also loved you. You see, I don't love you. I'm not to love you because you love me. I'm not to love you because you are deserving of love. I'm to love you because Jesus loves me. You are to love people for one reason, because Jesus loves you. How do we mimic God? He says, walk in love. Walk in light. In Ephesians 5, 8, Paul wrote, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. Why should you walk in light? Well, because it's proper for the saints. Paul said in Ephesians 5, 3, But do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. You say, well, that, that lets me off. I'm sure not a saint. Folks, let me tell you something. If you are saved, you're a saint. See, we, we think that a saint is someone who is super spiritual, an outstanding believer. No, the word saint means to be set apart. And when you became a child of God, you were set apart. Set apart from the world, set apart to God. So then, if you are a Christian, you are a saint. Which has always caused me to wonder, if we refer to Paul as St. Paul and John as St. John, why don't you all start calling me St. Wendell? <laughs> you don't just throw people off. But you're a saint. And he says it is proper for saints to walk in the light. Also, it is an indication of maturity. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, 9, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So he is saying that the mature believer lives a life of righteousness, goodness, and truth. And we walk in the light for others. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, 13, But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I am to walk in the light and I am to reflect the light and all things grow in the light. I'm convinced one of the reasons that more people are not turning to Jesus Christ is because we are not providing them the light of Jesus. We are to be a reflection of Jesus in everything we do. And when we reflect the light, people are saved. Because all things grow in the light. Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk in wisdom. In Ephesians 5.15, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Now, folks, why do you need wisdom? And that's important in Scripture. The Bible says, If any lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth liberally and upbraideth not. The book of, of Proverbs speaks a lot about wisdom. We are to have wisdom. Why is it so important? Because of the importance of time. Paul wrote, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And the word time that is used there means to make the best use of your time. To take advantage of the opportunities that God has given to you. So you need the wisdom of God to be able to take advantage of the time that you have. 
What's really important? And I, I ask myself that question because, you know, we, we, we are involved in a lot of things, aren't we? We do a lot of stuff. What's really important? Now, this is not very exciting to you. But Linda and I were talking and I said, you know, I think probably the most important thing I'm doing right now is investing in the lives of my grandchildren. What's really important? Because we respond to those things that are urgent while we ignore those things that are really important. We need the wisdom of God to take advantage of the time that we have because of the importance of time. It gets away so quickly. We need the wisdom of God because of the importance of God's will. Paul wrote, so then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Folks, you and I need the wisdom of God to know His will, because God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life, and you will never fulfill it without His wisdom. So we need the wisdom of God because of the importance of time and because of the importance of living out His will. And then he says, walk in the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, 18, he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The point that he's making here, the contrast that he's drawing, is just as a drunk person is under the control of the alcohol, as a believer, I am to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is to control my life. Just as a drunk person is controlled by the wine, so the Christian is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is to be in control of our lives. He guides us. He empowers us. He gives us the wisdom of God. So the Bible says that we are to imitate God. We are to mimic God. How do we do that? By walking in love, by walking in light, by walking in wisdom, and walking in the Spirit. That's how you imitate God. And then we see the Christian's hope there in verse number 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, as a citizen of heaven, we have incredible hope. I read about, uh, I'm reading, and I just finished this morning, I was reading in Hebrews chapter 11, read about Abraham Hebrews 11.10, For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now, Abraham was living in a tent looking for a city. He had hope for the future. Moses, Hebrews 11.26, Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. The Bible says that Moses rejected the treasures of Egypt because he believed the reward of God was greater. He had hope. Jesus faced the cross in death because he had hope. Our hope is in the return of Christ. That's what he's saying there. You and I have incredible power when we live our lives expecting the return of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is coming again, and that he can put everything right, he can make everything right, and that he will reign. But look at verse number 21 with me. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory 
by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Three words there. Humble state. He's talking about our body here. He's talking about our physical body. Humble state. Which means that we suffer from pains and aches and diseases and so forth. Whatever it is. Don't we have those things? Bad hearing. Some of us can't hear. Limp when we walk. Humble state. But notice what he says. In other words, transform. What he is saying is that one day God's going to transform this body. And then the conformity. This humble state in which I live is one day going to be transformed and become conformed to the body of Jesus Christ. That is the hope we have as believers. And look again at verse 21, right down to the bottom of it. The power that he has even to subject all things to himself. The word subject is a military word which means to arrange in ranks. And what he is saying is that Jesus arranges the priorities of our life as we submit to him. Now let me conclude. We are citizens of earth. Important. We are citizens of earth. And just as it was important to the Philippians, so it is important to us. But we also are citizens of heaven. By being born again, we become citizens of heaven. And if we are citizens of heaven, folks, it is reflected in our language. It is reflected in our walk. It is reflected in our hope. If we're citizens of heaven. Are you a citizen of heaven? If not, you can be. By putting your faith in Jesus Christ and receiving him as Lord. That's my prayer for you this morning. Our Father and God, we come to this time of invitation asking, Lord, that you move upon the hearts of those who are without Christ, that they might be drawn to Jesus to be saved. Lord, I pray for Christians. Lord, I pray that you'll do a work in our lives and that we will become a reflection of Christ. Lord, that we'll reflect Him in our conversation, that we'll reflect Him in our attitudes, we'll reflect Him in our actions, that we'll be a reflection of Jesus. Father, I pray Your blessings upon this invitation. We yield it to You. Thank You even now for what You're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we will stand, the choir will sing, and we'll extend an invitation to You. If you're here without Christ, that you come to receive Him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. Stand with me, please. As we stand together, the choir sings, you come. I'll greet you as you do.